Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we talk from time to time about, you know, really niching down in your practice. And sometimes people make mistakes on that. They, they find that they just stop liking what they're doing. And we are joined today by Laura Long, LMFT, from your badass therapy practice. She gave me carte blanche to just continue to introduce her. So (laughs) at the risk of spending the next 45 minutes just coming up with hyperbole, I'll turn things over to her and say thank you for joining us and let her kind of say a few words about herself. Thanks for having me. We are so, so excited to have you. It was so fun to chat with you in person at the Not Your Typical Psychotherapist conference last year with uh, Ernesto. Yeah, um, that was fun. I don't know where the sound went for that one. I think we recorded something, but I don't even did, remember what we I did. said. It, we, we basically, it's in our it was archives. That bad. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll make it special for our Patreon listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably garbage on my end. I, I do apologize. But yeah, thank you for having me on here. Who are you and what are you putting out into the world? I am. uh, Oh, wait, we didn't, we didn't talk beforehand about the language. (laughs) I almost just spit no filter at all. I will try to. You can, no filter is required. It's fine. Keep a lid on it. I'll just put it, I'll make this one explicit when I. I think you have to. Yeah, I will do that. Apparently the word badass is highly offensive. (laughs) We could just pronounce it as badass. And it, it's, Ooh, it's it like Target. It <laughs> the badass. It sounds like Baudet. I don't know. I don't know if I, I can know, get on board. It just sounds creepy. Badass. Um, I am the badass bitch behind your badass therapy practice. I help anxious type A entrepreneurial therapists have practices that they don't really need a vacation from, ones that they love going to. So we talk a lot about marketing, obviously, but we also talk about self of the therapist issues. Niching is very much one of those. We talk a lot about how to deliver your services in a way that are so highly valuable that clients practically pee their pants when they land on your website and can't (laughs) wait to throw money at you. That's what I do. I love it. And we have fun doing it. (laughs) So that's what I do. So I have courses. I do some coaching. I have a coach who works alongside me uh, and she does a lot of one-on-one. We do mastermind groups, live retreats, you name it. We've tried it. So that's it. So one of the things that we ask our guests is kind of a learning point and not as a, a shaming point, but what do you find that a lot of people get wrong about developing a niche or specialization? 
So I actually think that there are some myths around the whole idea of having a niche or a niche, however you pronounce it. Um, I've named them. So I was thinking that maybe we can even talk about each of those myths today. Cause I think that's where therapists go wrong. Is there's a lot it. of fears around narrowing down a niche. And the most common one that I see is what I call the exclusion myth, uh, which is quite literally the idea that by claiming a niche, we're just going to exclude or alienate all of the other types of people that we love working with. And that's simply not true. It's a myth, mm-hmm. but I see so many therapists who are just terrified to name the types of issues that they feel most comfortable working with because of their fear that all these other types of people that they've worked with before will go to their website or read their site today profiles and go, Oh no, no, she's not for me or he's not for me. They don't understand me. Um, and that's just not true. Exactly. I think there's that piece of being able to exclude who you need to exclude, but you're not going to exclude the other people who can kind of fit into the edges when you're speaking more specifically to the the, the things that you treat the best. The people who are right there on the side are still going to mm-hmm. see that and, and see it as, as clearer versus you being a generalist that doesn't really right. know much about the types of things that they might face. So I really like that. Yeah. I think it's also helpful just before we go any further to help define for those listening, the difference between a niche and an ideal client, because I see those two terms used pretty interchangeably. And in my opinion, they're very different. Um, So for the sake of our conversation, I think I'd like to stop during the conversation about the exclusion myth, because the niche and ideal client really play here. So in my mind, an ideal client is someone who it's, it's you creating almost this. I've, I've used the word, I've heard the word avatar. It's like a cl- mm-hmm. customer avatar. It is a, a certain type of worldview or personality. Um, it's, it's the type of client that when you see them on their count cal- on your calendar, you are so excited to see them. And it's less about the issues that are bringing them to therapy. And it's more just about who they are as people, the way that they show up on the planet really connects with how you show up on Mm -hmm. the planet. So regardless of if this client is coming to you for anxiety, depression, trauma, couples issues, whatever it is, you enjoy working with them because of who they are and how they mesh with you. Yeah. So that's how I view an ideal client. So an ideal client is it's, it, it can include demographics, how old are they or things like that, but really it's who they are on the inside that you love. It's like, oh my gosh, Karen's on my schedule. Love Karen. Uh, <laughs> most people don't like Karen, but I love Karen. Okay. So a niche is more of a focus on the external. So it is things like what are, what are the presenting problems that a person might be coming to you with? How do you help people? So your niche can be like my niche a long time ago was working with couples. So the niche was, was couples issues, communication, infidelity, things like that. But not every couple is my ideal client. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It takes a specific type of couple or it did for me to be like, yes, I would love to work with you. I love the ones who were more dry, ones who I could really be more authentic with, ones who didn't mind a little bit of like edginess or cursing. They tended to be from the North for some reason, but um, (laughs) we shared certain values, I guess, that whether I told them that or not, it just helped our conversations and our sessions go so much more smoothly. So yes, every 
every ideal client you have will most likely fall within your niche, but not everyone in your niche is going to be your ideal client. So I just wanted to get that out there and differentiate between those two key terms. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I don't know that I'd heard that divided in that way. And I think that does actually help because it's it's something where if they're oversimplified, then you get people really caught up with trying to have all of them fall together. And it, it lim- mm-hmm. I think it, it, it increases the level of, of exclusion because if you're only doing the tiny thing that is your ideal client in your niche, mm-hmm. then, the, then it's, yeah. it's, it's I, even even smaller population. I've seen exercises where people will say, you know, what kind of shoes does your ideal client wear? And it's like, well, we're getting really lost in the weeds here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I can choose to see people outside of my niche. If I, if I still feel like I can be competent with them Mm -hmm. and I can also choose to see clients who are not ideal. So there's no rule here that says you may only work with people in your niche, or you may only work with people who are in your niche who are also your ideal client. Ideally, yes, you would see someone who you love working with, who you feel super confident helping, you feel super capable, and they love working with you. And it's just like, I call it therapy love. You fall in therapy love. (laughs) Um, Of course, that is the ideal scenario. But yes, so back to the exclusion myth, I think that many therapists believe that once they claim a niche, they're excluding all kinds of other people. And like you were saying, Katie, there are some people that you will exclude. And that's the point. I'm not meant to serve everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm really not great at serving some people. So rather than waste their time by pretending like I can help them on my website, I'd rather them just know from the first 10 seconds that, oh, this, this therapist is not for me. And that's totally fine because someone else is for that person and they deserve to find a therapist who's best for them. I'm not going to be the best therapist for everyone. And thank God I'm not because I can't literally serve everybody. That brings me to my next myth, which is the, well, I feel like I could talk about a few of them right now, but there's one that I call the scarcity myth. So the scarcity myth is the belief that there's simply not enough to go around. There's not enough clients in this particular niche demographic. I wouldn't be able to fill a caseload if I only, only, there's the exclusion myth, if I only serve this type of person. Yeah. And so what I typically tell people who are dealing with the scarcity myth is that, okay, so you guys live right in LA, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how ridiculous would it be for a therapist in downtown LA to say, well, I can't niche down to couples who are more in that like kink BDSM realm because there's just not enough of them. Well, if you really look at the population of LA and the (laughs) millions of people who live in LA, and then you go down to how many couples are living in LA, you still are probably in the millions. And then it's down to couples who lead a certain uh, particular lifestyle that you really want to help them through or whatever. So it's like, okay, I love the, the BDSM kink population there might be tens or yeah, even more tens of thousands of couples in LA who would fit with that particular niche demographic. How could one person serve all of those people? They, they could not. It's, it's completely absurd. And I just kind of just like threw something out there, but it's like, if people really (laughs) look at the population of where they practice, how many people live there of those people, 
obviously not every single person needs therapy right now, but many people at some point, especially after all this COVID madness kind of dies down a little, there are so many people who need the exact thing that you have. So mm-hmm. operating from a place of scarcity is, is not helpful for you because it keeps you accepting clients who are not only not ideal, but who are outside of your comfort zone. And then you don't do a great job and then they leave or ghost you and then you feel crappy. So I really try to help therapists understand that scarcity is not reality. Mm-hmm. There are so many people out there who need you. So that's the second myth. So there's exclusion. I'm going to exclude or alienate all these other people. And then of course the scarcity, what if there's not enough people? Now, if you live in a very, very rural town of 10,000 people and your niche is trying to be the same, like kink BDSM couples, you might have some challenges there. Yeah. It's just that I find in my experience that most couple or most therapists who are afraid of niching down and they're using the scarcity myth as their reasoning it's Mm -hmm. they live in a pretty middle to large city and they're still afraid of it. I don't know if you guys ever hear of that. People are like, Oh yeah, absolutely. hear that. I think the, the, the biggest thing that I always think about with that is even numbers wise, there's just a ton of therapists and a ton of people in Los Angeles area. But I have a clinician who was a block away from me. And I think Kurt has a clinician in his suite that basically have the same mm-hmm. niche or specialization or whatever. And th- that person, that person for me, I refer to her and she refers to me mm-hmm. and same for Kurt. So I think that there's, there's differences between the people. There's enough people. Like there's, there's a lot of these things that are really, I think just more fear-based than anything else. Absolutely. Well, and I'm so glad you brought that up too, because the scarcity myth also applies to saturation where therapists mm-hmm. will say, there's just too many therapists in my town, in my community, on my same block who work with the same population. So there's no way that I could also fill my practice. Mm-hmm. First of all, if there are that many therapists or even one other therapist in your town who works with the same general population and is doing well, that also means that there's a demand. Yeah. And second of all, you also have to remember going back to our conversation about niche versus ideal client, odds are you both have different ideal clients. So even if your niche is the same, who you serve might be very different or who you would prefer to serve might be different. So when I used to work with couples, there are several other therapists in my town who are amazing couples counselors. And we, like you, Katie, we often refer to each other. And the primary reason is because we all really loved serving couples in different stages. One therapist really loved the premarital work and loved doing more Christian-based services. And then another therapist did primarily EFT and really loved the couples who wanted to like get really deep. And anyway, so we all have very different, (laughs) really deep in their emotions, Uh, but we all just have different treatment modalities, different ideal clients. So even though on paper, it looked like we were competition, we never saw it that way. And the truth is there was plenty to go around. Did you have more myths to go through? Sure did. All right. Sure did. Move on. (laughs) Um, There's two more. (laughs) All right. So another one that I see a lot is what I call the imposter myth. So it's the deeply held belief that we just don't know what the hell we're doing. Ah, yes. (laughs) How could I possibly help this particular niche demographic? I don't know enough. I don't have enough training or experience. 
while I'm sure we can all always improve and get more experience and more training, you also have to remember that in order to help someone in the therapy room, you only need to be one or two steps ahead of them. Mm, (laughs) Um, We don't have to have all the answers or know everything. We don't have to have every single fancy training, all the letters behind our names, our graduate training programs hopefully prepared us enough. And then there were some training hours that we had to do after that to get licensed. And there's all the CEUs that we still need to maintain that licensure. So within all of that, there's going to be a particular area of the population that you really love serving. Maybe it's eating disorders or trauma or OCD, whatever it is. Yes. It's up to you to get some additional training in those areas so that you feel more comfortable But most of the therapists that I hear who say, oh, I'm just, I just don't know enough. That's always coming from a place of fear. That's, it's less about true, not feeling like they can do their jobs. It's more just fear of what if, what if I don't have enough training? So then they'll practice more as a generalist because they feel safer. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I think it is important though to have that assessment because I think there are some folks too that will put themselves into a niche that they want to grow into and, and overstate their expertise. And that I think can kind of ironically make them feel worse because they're practicing kind of beyond the ends of their fingertips. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is important to do an accurate assessment, but recognizing when it's imposter syndrome and recognizing when it's actually, Hey, I need to get more training before I pop Mm -hmm. this up on my website. And that's when I feel that getting a mentor would be really helpful, whether it's a a business coach or your own therapist, like working with someone who can help you flesh out, like, is this just, do I just need to speak truth to bullshit? Like Brené Brown says, like, is this really true? Probably not. But if so, okay, what steps do I need to take? Because yeah. just sitting in the imposter, oh, it's like, it's like sitting in a dirty diaper and it's like kind of warm and comfortable, but like you got to move away from that. So get more training or deal with your shit. <laughs> well, and in addition to that is, you know, a lot of times when you're first going to those trainings, you're surrounded by people who've been to a lot of other trainings. And so your comparison is to people who are 5, 10, 15 years ahead of you that can compound that imposter syndrome sort of idea. Whereas if you really look at where you're at compared to the clients that you want to serve, bringing it back to those couple of steps that you're referring to, that gives you just that reframe of Mm -hmm. where exactly you're at in the work that you're doing. Yeah. 
I mean, I've worked with plenty of people who maybe career wise are ahead of me. You know, I see a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, things like that. And it can be intimidating at times where I'm like, wow, look at these people and how, I don't know, important they are for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word. And sometimes I can even get a little bit of like that imposter syndrome. Like how can I help these people work through what they're working through when they've accomplished so much in their careers? And then I think, well, I'm not actually giving these people business advice. Like their relationships (laughs) are falling apart. (laughs) Like they're making really bad personal decisions. I can help them through that. They're not asking me to like rebalance their portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair. And another thing to remember is that psychotherapy is one of the few fields where years of experience doesn't necessarily equate to effectiveness. Exactly. You can be a therapist for 30 years and suck. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, you can. And I know plenty of pre-licensed therapists that are amazing. It's a gift. So, yeah. so yes, additional training, experience, CEUs, education, all of that can be very helpful. Just because you don't have every single letter after your name or have been to every single training doesn't mean that you can't still be very effective in the therapy room. So uh, the last one is the confinement myth. So it's sort of like the exclusion myth where you feel like you're excluding or alienating people, but it's kind of the opposite end of that coin. So the confinement myth is saying that if I select a niche, that means I'm confining myself to only serving this type of problem or this type of person for the rest of my career, which of course is not true. And that's what I'm here to talk about today because oftentimes our niches are ever evolving. We're not married to them. Um, usually we're picking a niche based on a very specific interest that we have at this point in our lives or in our careers. And then over time, as we serve people who are within that niche, who are also ideal clients, we can start to feel a little, what I call niche burnout. It's a little bit like, um, getting kind of tired of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so today I wanted to talk a little bit about what happens when we experience that, but just to address the confinement myth, you are not confined. You are not um, selecting a niche and then only serving that population for the rest of your career. And in fact, if you go back to the idea of what an ideal client is, an ideal client in my mind doesn't really change all that much. It can, but for the most part, the, the type of person who I loved serving when I first started my private practice in 2013, I still love serving that same type of person. So the ideal client hasn't changed, but my niche has definitely changed because I was serving them at different points throughout their life. So when I first started my private practice, I really loved working with the type A kind of more anxious person, but they were young adults. Mm -hmm. I loved working with them in a couple context like the young couples, young professionals, and there was still that anxious type A, they were just part of the couple. And then last year I actually changed and realized I'm really burned out of working with couples. I still have like one or two on my caseload who I love, but I did a complete change. And now I'm strictly just doing individual work with the same type A anxious person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So my ideal client hasn't changed a whole lot, but my niche absolutely has. So to answer to the confinement myth, you are not confined. You are not stuck only serving that type of person forever. You can work with whoever you feel compelled or called to work with. And your niche can always change. For people who are 
experiencing that, the people who've done a really good job of finding that first niche and developing their practice and all of the stuff that all of the business coaches encourage people to do to get successful. What are the kinds of signs that you're burning out on your niche that Mm -hmm. it's maybe time to kind of reevaluate what you're doing? Yeah. So there's a few things that can happen, not necessarily all at the same time. I know what happened for me is like what business coaches say to do. I started increasing my fee because the more that I was working with a particular type of person and feeling like I was really competent, I adjusted my fee and increased it accordingly. And a very interesting thing happened where I started not necessarily dreading sessions but I found myself even more exhausted after a session, after having increased my fee, which is different from what I think should happen. I think when mm-hmm. you increase your fee and you're, you're getting clients who are really invested in the process and are there feeling really motivated, wanting to work, they're happy to pay that fee. What I think should happen is that we do a really great job in the therapy room. And I know you guys have probably had Tiffany McLean on at this point. I think I heard at least one episode with her, Tiffany from Hey Tiffany, quick shout out. (laughs) But something that Tiffany talks a lot about is when we increase our fee, it drives us and pushes us to do even better work. Um, So it it helps us and also helps the client. So what I found in my practice is that I was increasing my fee, but but no matter how much I increased it, it didn't give me that level of energy and motivation that it used to. I was actually having the opposite effect where I was starting to feel even more tired and not necessarily looking forward to sessions, regardless of what the the client was paying me. So that was like my first red flag, you know, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to work really, really hard outside of session. I'm going to figure out like how to do the best job that I can. I was like, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) no. I have three couples in a row. Oh no. So I guess just that, that little internal, like, ugh. Um, and not just for one random client here and there, but when you're starting to sense it with more and more clients that all have a similar presenting issue and you're like, oh no. So I think it's, there's that. I think that it's really important as therapists for us to be very self-aware. And I know not all therapists are, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully our grad programs and internships and all that prepared us for this but we really do need to be very careful of countertransference. So sure. I think of my ideal client as someone who uh, I have a lot in common with. Maybe at times I can see myself in them, but again, like I said earlier, I'm at least a few steps ahead in some way yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can help guide them. But if you're starting to sense a lot of either like projection or countertransference on your end, maybe you still have some work to do around the issues that you're clearly passionate about this particular niche because it's personal to you in some way. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting to just feel this sense of counter-transference a lot or um, taking work home with you a lot more than you used to, not having that emotional separation or being able to emotionally separate, that's another sign I think of niche burnout. You know, we're all, we're all business owners. So for you to not be excited to go to work every day despite having selected this niche and you once really did feel energized by it, I think those are all pretty clear signs that you might be approaching niche burnout. One thing that happened for me, because I am recognizing that I had niche burnout 
and shifted and kept the same ideal clients. I'm like, oh my gosh, this has already happened to me. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I found is I didn't want to do the trainings for that particular problem anymore. The, The trainings were getting more intense and they were, you know, lots of things were happening there. And I was like, I am so bored with this. I mean, for me, it was, I was working with women survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. And I stopped wanting to work with trauma. I was so burned out on working with trauma. And so now I'm working with those women in kicking ass in their career, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a yeah. very different focus on the problem. But the the underlying information that I had about that, that ideal client, I think really helps. Mm-hmm. But it was, I really did not want to do any more trauma training. I was like, I am done with trauma training. Yeah. No more for me. That was my burnout, I think. And you probably yeah. used to be really excited to go oh, to the totally trauma trainings, was. you know? Oh, yeah. So there's a- it, like trauma-informed, all these, I, like all this stuff that I was so excited about. I was like, meh. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's there's a flip side of that, too, where when you go to the trainings and you're finding that it's just the same information being presented over and over again, and yes. then you're you're not <laughs> really pulling anything new from it. And, you know, it's for me on, on the former work that I used to do with clients in the autism spectrum, I was like, there's only so many ways that you can repackage behaviorism. And and when you lose that excitement, then it ends up being like, okay, this is potentially a time to step back if we're not going to feel fulfilled out of the the work that we're doing, that that's going to translate over to our clients as well. Absolutely. It looks like a jaded therapist who doesn't care. Yeah. That's what clients have told me about previous experiences in therapy is they felt like their therapist wasn't listening, didn't care, didn't remember things. Like one thing that I think really separates therapists from other fields, especially the helping profession is we have really good memories of our clients' lives. I can't tell you where the hell I put my keys, but I can tell you all of my clients, their life stories. I could tell you who their uncles and aunts and their kids' names and what year things happened. Like I have this like steel trap of my clients' lives. So for a therapist to get to the point, and I would like to think that many therapists are that way, yeah. you, you know, that we try very d- diligently to remember intimate details of our clients' lives because they're entrusting us with that information. And for me yeah. to have a session where I don't even remember what their spouse's name is, it doesn't show a very high level of empathy. So for me to have clients come in and tell me that their former therapist didn't remember some very basic details of their story. I'm, I'm trying to think in my head, like that, that therapist must've felt a little burned out mm-hmm. for them to oh, be yeah. disengaged in the process. For me, there was times when I was like, I don't remember whose story this is. Everybody's story sounds the same at this point. Like I can't mm-hmm. sustain this. <laughs> Yeah, it's awful. And it feels so bad as a clinician to have that happen, where yeah. you're really starting to burn out, whether it's on the niche or, or just in general, like it can be so hard to have that happen. What do you recommend people do when they're thinking about shifting? They've identified, okay, I've burned out on this niche, I don't want to do it anymore. How do you recommend people make a shift? Well, first of all, I, I think it's important for therapists to first better understand and explore within themselves. Like, is this is this niche burnout or is this career burnout? Therapists tend to jump to the fear that this is career burnout, which then leads them to avoid or deny their feelings because they're like, oh God, I'm not excited about going to trainings anymore. Or 
all of my clients' stories are starting to run together. I don't love working with this type of person anymore. And they jump to this conclusion and like catastrophize and say, Mm -hmm. I must not love therapy anymore. I must not be a good therapist. Maybe I need to change careers altogether because I think there is a lot of shame for them feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't remember parts of my client's stories. This is really embarrassing to me. So I think first recognizing that there is a difference between niche burnout and career burnout. Mm-hmm. And so if a cl- if a therapist is feeling this way, they need to identify for themselves or explore the therapist, whatever they need to do, which one is it? Because if it's just niche burnout, we can work with that. That's a simple fix. If you truly feel like it's more of a career burnout, mm-hmm. that's a much bigger issue that just changing your niche is not going to fix. It's just going to move the problem somewhere else. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So for people who are making this move, there's kind of some practical steps too that they have to go through before they can really, you know, start branding themselves in a new, in a new niche in a, and then there's also kind of shaking, you know, the, the past niche away of like, you know, no, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Shedding it like a snake. Shedding it like, no, that, that's old me. That me doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) I will be bad for you if I do that. <laughs> well, and let me say it's, it's rare. It does happen, but it's rare that when someone changes their niche, it changes completely to, to a totally different thing, totally different ideal client as well. Uh, I have seen it, so it is possible. But most of the time, like I was saying earlier, it's like the, the ideal client is pretty stable. You, you're you're not likely going to change who your ideal client is. So when we change our niche, odds are it's still the same ideal client. It's just catching them at a different place, a different chapter, a different something in their life. So that makes it a lot easier to explain to other people when you say, you know, I'm actually moving away from working with, like for me, I used to work with couples and now I'm working a lot more with individuals. Now I do relational issues within them. Like we talk definitely about their marriages and their most important relationships, but I'm just not doing specific couples work. So when I changed my niche, I often would just say, yeah, what, so I've moved away from working with couples. And what I was finding is that I really loved working with type A, just really anxious, perfectionistic people. And that was usually one of the partners in a couple. So I've really just moved away from working with them in a couple's context. And now I'm working with them more one-on-one. So then it, it helps make sense to the person I'm talking to, who's usually just a referral source or another therapist. So as long as it makes sense to them, it's a lot easier to sell the change because you're just, you're just like evolving and like moving in another direction, but you're still kind of seeing the same. Like I see people who used to work with children and they got burned out of working with children and now they love doing parenting. Like That's a pretty easy change. It's, I really loved working with kids. And I've moved away from that because I found that I was doing a lot more parent support and I really got a lot out of that. So now I'm working more with parents and vice versa. Some people might really love working with parents and then they want to move to working with children. I would say that the first step is to identify who is your ideal client here. If you haven't already done that work, because odds are you can find the connection between 
your old niche and the one that you're moving towards through who your ideal client is, because that most likely doesn't change much. That would be the first like real step. Cause you don't want to change niches like hastily. You know what I mean? Like you don't just yeah. be like, you, you don't ah. want that. You don't want that poly kink BDSM couples therapist then to go to like early childhood intervention. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, yeah. Like that doesn't, I don't know how you would get from one to the other. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't, but it needs to make sense for your referral sources, the way you explain it. And you don't want to just jump from one thing to another only to then discover that you don't like that niche either, you know, and then you're just like playing yeah. pinball with it. And that's very complicated and messy and it, it just looks disorganized. So I would say first you have to identify that there's a problem, know that it's niche burnout and feel comfortable that it's niche burnout and not career burnout, and then do some exercises to figure out, okay, so who is my ideal client? Who were they before? Has that changed at all? What is it that I'm really leaning towards now? What are the connections between that person and what they might've been experiencing with my almost former niche? Like where can I find some connections for myself to make meaning out of this change? Because if you can understand that changing your niche is just a natural process. None of us can see the same exact thing and focus on the same niche for 30 plus years without any evolution in ourselves. That's my opinion. Well, it's, and it's one of the, the mechanisms of kind of expanding your business. It's looking at, okay, what other things do my ideal clients face? And can I serve those things as well? I mean, I think that people talk about either kind of deepening kind of vertically or or spreading out horizontally. And this is kind of deepening vertically and going deeper into what is each, uh, what does my ideal client face? So yes, they're, they might be a parent, but they also might be a, you know, CEO and they might be this. And so it's like, okay, how do I speak into this new problem? And so you can really, I think, see it as more additive to mm -hmm. start out with to see if you can kind of shift that over versus, you know, kind of saying, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing any trauma work anymore. Now I'm just doing career work. It's like, what I found was that the folks that I was working on, working with, once they were able to process the trauma, they weren't getting where they wanted to go with work. And that was another mm -hmm. interest of mine. And that actually is the focus of my work at this point. So it was something where it's like, if you can talk through those things and tell a story, exactly. you can go deeper with your ideal client. I think Kurt's story is a little different though, because Kurt was doing folks on the autism spectrum and well, and I now had, it's a little bit different well i had done autism spectrum and was kind of simultaneously also working with teenagers just in general and so there was kind of a parallel there but when i started burning out on working in, in the autism field i, I kind of already had a, a simultaneous very natural sort of thing to fall into. And then I be, I came into that depth that you're talking about in a lot of areas around things that, now that I look back on it, come to a certain level of family trauma or you know started branching into a lot of self-harm, a lot of eating disorder things that had a, a nexus that was very, very similar that then led me down an even deeper trauma path, which I am absolutely <laughs> in love with right now. So it, it wasn't as thought out. It, it kind of happened more naturally for me. I still get phone calls from lots of referral sources going back to my autism days. And yeah, I'll still see 
a fair number of those clients. But as Laura's talking about, it's the ideal clients within that former niche. It's the ones that I think that I can still be helpful for and the ones that I'm still excited to meet. And, you know, it illustrates just kind of, Laura probably knows what she's talking about here a little bit. I'm you know. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I do a really good job faking it though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it speaks to, there is a, just this potential for a natural progression through someone's career that they can go through this and it's not as rare as you think. Well, and I like that you shared your story because you can clearly see the natural evolution. This wasn't a forced thing and there was always a connection from one to the next. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it makes perfect sense. And I don't know if you could have where you are now from your first niche, because it seems like that the interest you have now didn't really, it wasn't born until you moved more into the self-harm eating disorder, like teenager realm. And then you were like, oh yeah, the trauma, like families it's like it moved seamlessly almost. So there, there is definitely a connection between mm-hmm. each of your niches that you've had. Yeah. And you still get to work with the autism kids that you want to. Right. Exactly. You're not confined. <laughs> you don't get to be like, or you're not going to say, okay, well now that I have this new niche, like I'm just refusing to take on any autism unless you wanted to. And in that case, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's, there's no rule against working with someone outside of your niche demographic. As long as you feel like you can be helpful, as long as you're not practicing outside of your scope. Right. And to me, what I really hear is that it comes down to some messaging in the story that you tell so that you are clear on on that, at least from a marketing perspective. It can evolve naturally, but I think if you're really looking to dramatically, you know, force focus your efforts on marketing it becomes messaging. It becomes, Mm -hmm. how do I tell the story of moving from point A to point B, even if it was really a a squiggly, you know, windy road that, you know, wasn't necessarily thought out in the first place. You know, there, there may be some ways that we can actually tell the stories better so that people understand it and it doesn't seem like it's scattershot. Yeah. Because what typically happens is our niches find us before we find them. So we could talk forever and ever. This is such good information. Thank you so much for being here, Laura. Where can people find you? They can find me at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. I would like to think that my email list is very high quality because I only send stuff that I would want to read, but I do have a free psychology day course that has won a few awards at this point. So I think people might know about it. I have my psychology day hall of shame that people usually enjoy watching. They can come play with me on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash your badass therapy practice. Just add me as a friend there. And I'm usually posting all kinds of fun antics and things for people to think about. You know, I break the internet a few times with some controversial statements, but you know, we're having fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's how they can find me and get a hold of me. And I do have some offerings for your Ooh. listeners that I'd like to share. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Well, we were talking before we started recording today. I have these two mini courses. One is called Boss, which is short for your badass onboarding system, Simplified, where I walk people through my seamless onboarding system using simple practice where I am able to onboard new clients without ever having to play phone tag or email tag, which is really great. Um, So it's a mini course. And then I also have another mini course called Badass Copy Queen, where I show my exact process for writing uh, amazing mouthwatering copy on my website. And so I have both of those courses. They're usually 197. In April, I was running a special for 50% off both of those courses. 
if they use the coupon code COVID sucks, because <laughs> it does. <laughs> uh, but since it's no longer April, Kurt had the great idea of the coupon code being COVID still sucks because it does. So for anyone listening who wants to take a look at both of those mini courses, you can just go to my website uh, under courses and check them both out and see if either one or both would work for you, but you get them both for half off using the coupon code COVID still sucks. All one word. Nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And we'll put all of that information in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And you can also join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, to talk about and share your stories around how your niche is developing or has transitioned and changed. And we'd love to have you join us there. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Laura Long. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.